Hi, everybody. Welcome to our series, How Does God Grow Your Faith? This week, I want to talk about when we experience the supernatural. This is the third element that we have been talking about over the last few weeks of seven uh, of how God grows our faith. The first was when the word of God richly dwells in us. The second was when we experience trials. But today I want to talk about miracles and the supernatural and how they help our faith to grow. The passage of scripture that we want to read, I I think is a fairly familiar one from John's gospel, chapter two, verse one to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you want our faith to grow. It is a living expression of our devotion and our care and our understanding of who you are and who we are. So, Lord, I pray that you would, through the miraculous events, through the supernatural, cause our faith to grow. Help us to recognize that you are at work in this world and that you are at work in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's remember the context. This is the first miracle in Jesus's public ministry. His mother Mary had some responsibility over the wedding. Now, uh, we know that because uh, why else would she come to Jesus and talk about the fact that the wine was uh, diminishing and getting uh, a little scarce? A Coptic gospel, that's an Egyptian translation of the gospel, suggests that she was the aunt of the bride or the bridegroom. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, tradition has it that this wedding was a a wedding for John, the gospel writer. And so she's connected to this wedding. She's been responsible for some of the arrangements. And so when she noticed the wine is beginning to run short, she goes to Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, what is this to do with me? And it sounds a bit harsh at first, but actually it could be translated dear woman. And it is actually a term of endearment. In fact, Augustus, the emperor, called Cleopatra a woman when he was referring to her in a a kind of admiring way. Now, the tone probably came across such as he could be saying something like, Mom, I'll look after it. 
It's the tone of voice that often determines the meaning of language. And I think when we read it, we don't get the tone involved. But, but because of Mary's response to immediately go to the servants and say basically to them, whatever he asks you to do, do it. It is obvious that she understand him to say to her, I'll look after it. And so the story continues. Notice also that there is a superabundance of wine. Uh, no wedding needs 180 gallons of wine. It was a disgrace in the first century for Jewish people to become drunk. So they weren't drinking to get completely uh, uh, drunk. They were drinking as part of the celebration, but the intent was not to get everybody roaringly drunk. And so 180 gallons of, of, of wine is a super abundance of wine. And also notice that Jesus says that his hour or his time has not come. Actually, his time comes at the crucifixion because later Jesus picks up this um, theme in his uh, upper room discussion and prayer with the disciples in John's Gospel 17.1 when he says that he know, knew that his hour had come. Notice as well that uh, Jesus uses pots which are usually used for ceremonial cleansing. The Jews would wash their feet uh, when they first came into a, uh, a, a banquet or a feast or a meal, they would then ceremonially wash their hands in a very, very particular way. In fact, between each course of the meal, they had to go wash their hands again. And uh, when Jesus uses these pots, which were set aside for the ceremonial cleansing for wine, there could be something going on here where Jesus is saying that this ritual cleansing, this ceremonial cleansing is going to be replaced with a new kind of cleansing, a new way of being cleansed. And in the, in the New Testament, this idea of wine or new wine often reflects this understanding that something new is happening, something remarkable, uh, something um, uh, perhaps we'd say uh, mind-changing is going on. And so this idea of the cleansing with water being translated to this new wine, which is supposed to come, is really a reflection that, the, that something's happening with the people of God, that God is creating a new way, a new way to be cleansed. And, and uh, perhaps this is a foreshadowing of that. But in particular, let's focus on verse 11. It says this, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Did you catch that? Why did the disciples believe in him? Was it because he just showed up one day and said that he's the son of God? Was it because Mary maybe told them the story of the virgin birth? No. It says the disciples believed in him because of this sign, because the water was turned to wine. In other words, it, it, he didn't convince them because of he articulated a great theology about God. He didn't convince them from arguing from the Old Testament scriptures that he was the son of God. He convinced them with a miraculous sign that he was the son of God. And this was the first sign of many that they experienced. In fact, John chapter 20, John picks this up again in verses 30 and 31. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this, in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
You see what it's saying here is that these signs, these miracles of Jesus, these supernatural events in the life of Jesus is what convinced the disciples to put their faith in him, to put their trust in him. You see, it goes on to say that the sign revealed his glory. Another one of those technical words, his glory. Now, his glory is completely revealed in his death and resurrection. That was the moment that he's glorified. When he dies, he rises from the dead, and you see the power and the majesty and the glory of who he was. So they believe because of the miracle. Now, in our Western culture, we tend to downplay miracles, uh, and, and this has been true ever since the Enlightenment. Uh, and since the Enlightenment, science has tried to explain away the supernatural. What we once thought was miraculous now can be shown to be a natural occurrence that we just didn't understand in the past. And so in some ways, uh, there appeared to be a lot of miracles uh, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, or 1,000 years ago. And now we have explanations for the miracles. Well, I don't think that God minds a bit that science explains that there are natural reasons for certain phenomena to take place because God is both in charge of the supernatural and the natural. The natural is just another way of his workings, of his doings, of his ability to, to uh, order the universe and order the way the world works. You see, the early church and today the emotionally and psychologically healthy church experiences miracles. This is not something that just happened in the first century. It's not something that just happened in Jesus's ministry. In fact, as, as I think through the people that I have led to Jesus or the people that I've known have come to Jesus, I can't think of anyone who comes to Jesus without miraculous involvement. Uh, people in their testimonies of, of how they came to know Jesus are always talking about some experience, some phenomena, some, something that happens in their life that convinces them, that is a sign to them that Jesus is God and that they need to put their trust in him. We are unhealthy when we are too dependent on words and not enough on the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says that he came to Corinth not with talk, but with power. And I think that the church tends to talk a lot about Jesus. And we need to demonstrate more the power of Jesus at work in people's lives. Because this miraculous, the miraculous events in our lives, the supernatural, the way God answers prayer, the way God, the way God heals people, the way God uh, arranges circumstances in our life are powerful evidences of who Jesus is. And whenever these events happen, and I think they happen far more often than we sometimes uh, give God credit for, uh, whenever that happens, our faith grows because these are signs of who Jesus is. You see, faith is not a blind choice to believe something in the absence of any good reason to make that choice. J.P. Moreland said that. Faith is not a blind choice. You can't believe in something you don't believe in you know what I mean by that? Say someone came up to you, maybe I came up to you and said, I will give you $500 to believe in unicorns. <laughs> Honestly, you couldn't take the $500 if you were honest, because just be told to believe in something doesn't help you to believe in it. You can't believe in something you don't believe in. Again, that's something that J.P. Moreland, an author and uh, philosophy professor, has said. 
We believe in things because we see evidence of those things. We believe in the reality of Jesus Christ because we see the reality of Jesus Christ at work in this world, at work in our lives. Biblical faith, then, is not wishful thinking. It is based on evidence that God is at work in creation and that God is at work in our lives. You see, followers of Jesus who are spiritually and emotionally mature are constantly turned toward and expectant of God and God's actions in their lives. That's something that Dallas Willard has said. Just think about that. As followers of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, my heart, my mind, my life is tuned towards his actions in my life. I am constantly looking to see how he is at work in creation and in my life and in the lives of others. I'm tuned to that. I'm turned to that. I am constantly aware of how he is at work. And as I see him working so profoundly, so supernaturally, so amazingly, then this helps my faith to grow. So how does God grow our faith? Well, first of all, I think we all have to recognize our need to grow. It's important that we understand that every one of us need to grow spiritually and psychologically and emotionally. I, I think that this is something that perhaps we overlook at times. We, we think of uh, becoming born again as being the end game, as being, oh, now that, we're, now that we know Jesus, uh, everything's finished, and, and now I just, uh, along my way, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. No, uh, the Lord wants us to grow. He wants us, no matter how long we've known the Lord, to continue to have uh, spiritual and emotional, psychological growth in our lives. And in other words, we need to grow our faith. And uh, this happens a number of ways in our lives, as we've been talking about. When we see him supernaturally at work in our lives and in creation, it kind of gives us a boost. It helps us to grow in our faith. It helps us to mature. When we remember the kingdom of God is not all about talk, we don't argue people into the kingdom of God. I think the church has spent a lot of time trying to do that. Rather, the kingdom of God is about power in the Holy Spirit. And the Lord brings people to Jesus when they see the signs of who Jesus is, not only in creation around us, but in our lives. And so we need to talk a lot more about it. We need to demonstrate in their lives. We need to talk to one another about it. When we also understand that God's kingdom is revealed through the signs that point us to Jesus. So let's pray. So Father, we ask you to help us to be more aware of the signs of Jesus, the signs of the kingdom, the indicators that you are truly God and that you are truly at work, not only in nature, but in our lives. So Lord, I thank you for uh, this passage of scripture, this, this miracle that, that convinced the disciples that, uh, uh, about who you were. And, and, and Lord, we thank you as well that you do this in our lives and that uh, you are at work, uh, not only uh, internally, not only through your word in, the, in the history, but you are at work right now in our lives. Open our eyes to see how you are at work. Help us to talk about it. Help us to reflect on it and help our faith to grow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's the question of the day. When was the last time God did something supernatural 
in your life. Are you looking for signs of the kingdom? You should be. So how do we grow our faith? First of all, we need to face our intellectual doubts and research the answers. I think that's really important. Everybody from time to time will come across doubts, will come across questions. I don't think that we should just leave those questions alone. I think that we should pursue the questions. There has been so much written to help us understand uh, our questions and our doubts. And so research the answers. Secondly, I think in order to grow our faith, we need to read and watch testimonials of God's power. There are great resources out there. There are books to read. There are testimonies to see and to understand and to watch that, that really talk about God at work in people's lives. Testimonies of people who have been uh, racked with all kinds of uh, pain and difficulties in their lives who come to Jesus and Jesus miraculously delivers them. There's testimonies of people who have been healed uh, through prayer. There's testimonies of people who have been delivered from all kinds of demonic and, uh, and very troublesome circumstances in their lives. And we need to remind ourselves that God is at work in this world. I think thirdly, we need to ask other believers about their signs. What are the evidences in their life that God is at work? I always find that's, that's just a fascinating discussion when you just open up to someone and say, tell me about what Jesus is doing in your life. Tell me about things that are happening that really are, are evidences of God at work. And boy, they do, people start to open up. We need to talk about these things. We need to share these things. These are all things that will help our faith to grow. And I think that we need to also avoid two extremes. On the one extreme is gullibility, where everything that happens we think is a miracle. On the other extreme is skepticism. As a follower of Jesus, I need to find a middle path between gullibility and skepticism. God is at work in your life. He's at work in creation. Watch for him to be at work. Recognize his work, his good work, his miracles, his supernatural power in your life. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week.